You know, um, when you start to think about the church and the importance of the church, uh, one of the things we start to think about is just how important was the church to God. You, you know, we, we know that being a, talking about developing a great church and building a great church, what would go into everything that we would, you know, think about as, as, as being a great church, it's important to think about, well, what did the church mean to God? So if you were to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, uh, the outside, that line says 9 and 11, but I, I mean 10 and 11, but I want us to read verses 9 through 12. So Paul would write to the church at Ephesus, and he would say, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden God, who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers and heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So when you think about the church, you start to understand that this church was not an afterthought of God. It was part of God's eternal plan, eternal purpose. The way that he would bring into existence at, at his, on his timetable that would allow men to be able to, in fact, to allow all men everywhere to be saved. Because up, up to a point, it was the Jewish nation that was God's chosen people. And everyone else were, were outside of that protective care and out of those promises. But through the church, even promises are made back in the Old Testament that the Gentiles would eventually be able to come into the kingdom. And that was God's eternal purpose. That, that not only you and I uh, have the opportunity to understand these great mysteries that God, he knew about it, but the, the that the church would be established by his son Jesus and that we would have a part of that. It would be a, one of our lessons earlier on was just trying to recognize what is our position? What is our role in the church? Because we each have a role. We know the church was important to Jesus because in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, whenever we had this in a, in a lesson here recently when Jesus asked the question, but who do men say that I am? And it was Peter who said, but, you know, you're, 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 you're the Christ. He said, uh, well, Simon says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, for Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On, on, this, on this foundation, on this truth, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, I will build my church. So it was important to him. And you stop and think about what did it cost him? Well, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, we read very clearly what the church cost Jesus. And we know what it did. Therefore, take heed to yourself and draw the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That, that the church was important to God, the church was important to Jesus. He would build it. Therefore, we should realize that the church has got to be important to us too. It's got to be important to us. 
uh, so again, we take a look at well, how do we fit in? So one of the things we start to recognize, well, we are just a member of the body. We're a member of the body. So when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he was trying to get this point across to the, to the brethren there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, begin with verse 12. Paul would write this, and it's a fairly lengthy reading from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. I'm sorry, to verse 27. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? But now God has set the members, has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which he lacks it. That there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And if members suffer, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, therefore, you are the body of Christ and members individually. So Paul was trying to get across to the church in Corinth, and he said, yes, the, there is one church. There is one body. And that body is composed of a lot of different people, you and I, members of that body. Well, the problem comes up in that since the church is made out of made up of people, of us, we can expect that there's going to be problems in the church. I mean, you, you just can't think of, you know, of a place anywhere that's comprised of people that don't have problems, right? The problem's different in magnitude. The problems we face are sometimes large and sometimes they're small. But nonetheless, there's going to be problems in the church, and we're going to have to deal with those problems. We can't ignore them. We can't sweep them under the rug. We can't pretend they don't exist. The best thing to do is to face the problems and deal with them as they come up. When you start to think about the early church, when you look back in the book of Acts, how long did it take for there to start to be problems arising in that brand new institution that started in Acts chapter 2? Not very long at all, right? As a matter of fact, you don't even get to, you don't even get but to chapter 5 when you start to realize, oh, Here's a big problem in the church. We kind of talked about this a little bit in one of our other lessons. How that when we're talking about the needy in the church and how the members were taking care of the needs of those who were visiting in Jerusalem, how that some were giving what they had to feed the poor and some were selling lands and possessions and bringing that money. Well, in Acts chapter 5, 
begin with verse 1, uh, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And I, I'm not going to read that, but you remember what happened, right? Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a parcel of land, something that, that belonged to them, and then they conspired together to, 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 to make it appear as if they gave the, all the proceeds from the sale of that land to the apostles to be distributed. And if you look back at that reading, Acts chapter 5, and, and reading verse 3, and Peter, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of land for yourself? And then he has this very interesting statement. He says, while it remained, was it not your own? In other words, when you had it, it was yours. You could have done whatever you wanted to with it. And after it was sold, was it not your, in your own control? You could have done whatever you wanted to do with the money, right? But why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So we know what happened. Ananias, he, he died right there at the apostles' feet. And, and before here comes the fire, and Peter asked her, is this, is this what you sold the land for? Yeah, that's it. That's what, that's what we got for it. We brought it to the church. And, and Peter says, you know, the, the feet of those who carried your husband out and buried him are going to carry you out also as she died. So problems arose very early in the church. We also looked at a situation in, in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 6. Whenever the apostles were uh, doing the work that they were supposed to do, remember there was a, we talked about this also, there was a, some murmuring arose from uh the verse 1 of chapter 6 is now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So it didn't take long for these problems to start surfacing in the church. Now, now the thing is, is what we have to understand is that God didn't leave us without plans or without knowledge about what to do about problems. And I think one of the first things we always try to do whenever we face problems, I know I know we should do this, is we should turn to the Word of God and seek His counsel and find out what He's told us to do about certain problems in the church. So, uh, 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 numerous other problems are recorded in the book of Acts. We know, you know, just the whole whole book of Acts is, is, is addressing certain places addressing problems in the church. Uh, some of the problems in, in the early church were created from external purposes or external ways. For instance, there was oppression put on the church, early in the church, from the government. We know that, right? We talk about the great dispersion of the church being run out of Jerusalem. Uh, and so the government itself put some, put some pressures on the church. Some of them were external, but then there was also a lot of internal strifes too in the church. If you remember in Acts chapter 15, whenever, whenever the, uh, the Gentiles are starting to be converted, and then the question comes up by some of the converted Jews into Christianity that says, you know, the, these guys, it's okay for these guys to be, this is a paraphrase by Roy, okay? Yeah. It's okay for these guys to be Christians, but they have to obey the law too. What? So, the, Verse chapter 15, verse 1, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension to dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go to Jerusalem up to the apostles and elders about this question. So they have to take this question back up to Jerusalem where those apostles were to discuss this. And you remember what they finally said, right? Right? In verse 20 of, of chapter 20, uh, 15 says, But that we write them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. So problems were addressed. Problems had to be solved in the early church. Uh, as, as you read through the books of the New Testament, when you start to read the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, to the, to the church in Corinth, uh, first and second letter to the church at Ephesus, to the church, all the different places that Paul writes to. In many of those letters, he's addressing problems that have come up or questions that have come up in the church. And of course, he does. He, he when in, uh, for instance, uh, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen and verse twelve, uh, which is the same same chapter we were just looking at, we recognize that there were false teachers. False teachers in the church, and, and they were the ones who were coming back and said, yeah, but these guys have to do this, 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 and this also if they want to be Christian. That's, that was false teaching, and the church had to address that. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul would write to the young man Timothy about blasphemers in the church, those who would blaspheme the name of Jesus and those who would blaspheme the name of God. In the, same, in the second letter of Timothy, first chapter 4, verse 10, Paul would talk about those. He says, remember, Demas has forsaken me for this world, right? So there were those who quit the church. But that wasn't the first time that that happened, of course, whenever Jesus was teaching himself. After he taught some, some of his lessons, we read that some of the people who were following him had a difficult time understanding, not understanding, but accepting what Jesus was teaching, and they turned away from Jesus. They turned back because it was too hard. It was too hard. So some of the early problems of the church had to do with false teachers, had to do with blasphemers, had to do with quitters. Uh, we also read about those who, the fornicators. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, Paul, you know, addresses that long letter in Corinth to a, a major problem with the church in Corinth. And you remember the situation that a man had his father's wife. And so Paul addresses that situation. And, and in, that, in that writing, he says, even the heathens wouldn't do that. Even heathens wouldn't do what you're doing. And, and worse than that, he says, you and the church are just accepting it. You're not doing anything about it. You're just letting it come to church there. And like it's going on. And we know, of course, that later that got straightened out and the, the man got forgiven. So Paul had to write back to the church again and said, now you need to accept that brother who's repented from that sin that he's done. And so we real, realized that some, you know, the teaching that talks about, you know, it only takes one bad apple, right? To spoil all of them, right? It only takes a little leaven, a little yeast in a loaf to, rise, to affect the whole loaf, right? So the church has got to deal with problems. We, we cannot ignore them. We cannot just pretend they don't exist. We can't sweep them under the rugs. So the thing I think we should realize is that um, in the church today, we're, we're going to face some of the same kind of problems. I, I'm, I'm very happy to say 
I'm very thrilled to say that at Graber Road, we don't have to face a lot of those problems. We have not had to face a lot of those problems. I remember uh, in, a, in a discussion that I, I, we, I was with elders one time, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm not sure that I could be an elder at some of these other congregations who face all these problems. That would be difficult. But you know what? It's easy to be an elder at Graver Road. Not only, it just, it just you know, I, I work and serve uh, with a bunch of Christians here who have the right spirit, who have a loving spirit, who, who work together in harmony, and, and we get things done. We have a program of work. We work on that, and that's that's wonderful. It makes, Doug, it makes our job just a whole lot easier, does it not? That, uh, you know, we get to have our meetings on Tuesday night, and we don't have to spend all that time talking about problems. We get to talk about and pray for our individual members and the different needs that they have. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, we will always have to deal with false teaching, bad attitudes, and conduct unbecoming of a Christian. It, it, it's a given. If the church is made up of people, we're going to face some of these problems. So the question comes about, what, well, how do you deal with problems? How do you deal with problems? And obviously you can't, we couldn't even start tonight to talk about all the different ways and things we might need to do about problems. So we're going to talk about a few things, okay? First off, we need to, we need to, to work on attitudes. Our, our own attitudes probably, right? Our, each and every one of our own attitudes. We need to start with that. Um, sometimes I think if we would start there and realize, look, maybe some of the problems that arise... When you stop and think about them, and when you start to look at them and compare it to the whole scheme of things and the love of God and the church, they're really not all that big. Are they that important? Uh, I can't remember exactly where it's written there, but one of the teachings in the New Testament is about, about taking a brother to court. You remember, you remember that writing, Jesus was in his teaching? And in fact, Jesus says, wouldn't it be better for you to be cheated than to drag the name of the church through the court system? That's basically what he says, right? So sometimes we should take a look at our attitudes and think, you know what? This is not worth making waves over. Uh, Debbie has a, a, a saying that sometimes she says, you got to choose your battles, right? I, I, I'm not sure what she's talking about or who she's talking about, but anyway. But, but in church, sometimes we need to think about the fact that those things that are concerned us or we might think are problems, maybe, maybe they're not really all that big. And maybe we should look at our own attitudes. We must value the unity and harmony of the church. And, and, you know, when we look at the church as a whole and realize the importance of it and what it cost Jesus himself and how God planned for the church and how he, how he plans for the church to be the vehicle by which we get to go to heaven. That's, that's it, you know? Then some of the problems that we face maybe would just flat disappear. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus once again, he, he, his letters are just filled with admonition to the churches on different things. But in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, uh, thinking about this idea, he says, uh, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What should be our goal as Christians, as members of the church, is to, is to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, so, 
that division, we know that division is wrong, and, and, and it should certainly be condemned. Whenever, whenever you stop and think about it, or maybe, maybe you've even heard of a church somewhere, or perhaps even been a part of a church one time that, that split over some particular thing, some particular question, uh, and, and when you start to realize how God condemns division, you know, back back in the Old Testament, it says there are certain things that God hates, and one of them is it says He hates those who cause division in the church. So that's something that God's just not happy about. Yes, Janice. Right. Hidden. Well, yeah, so it's hidden. It couldn't really, it's so great, but I couldn't really understand it. But back in Ephesians 3, uh, it's talking about uh, this mystery that was made known to Paul by Revelation. Verse 6 says, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body. Yeah. And they share in that same promise of Christ. Yeah, and. and These, we are one in Christ, and we're we're many members in one body, and and of course we're Christians, and and I think that I think the Jews probably of the day had a very difficult time with that concept. They they struggled with that because they had been God's chosen people for so long that they struggled with the fact that the doors of the kingdom were open to the whole world, open to the whole world, and they just had a real problem with that. So. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, also in chapter 12, verse 25, points out Paul writing to the church in Corinth the fact that this the division in the church is never, ever right. It's wrong. And it should be condemned. Uh, a lot of times we find that the divisions are caused by ugly attitudes. So we said earlier we should think about our own attitudes and be sure that we have the right spirit but ugly attitudes can disrupt the peace of the church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. Uh, again, Paul addressing the church. Uh, the church at Corinth had a lot of problems. Remember, they had problems with spiritual gifts. They had problems with the Lord's Supper. They had problems with eating in the church. They had lots of problems. But in verse 3 of chapter, of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians says, For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Sometimes we just have to put that stuff behind us and realize we're, we're, we're children of God. We're children of God. We're part of the kingdom. We're in the church. We make up the church. And a lot of times we just have to put this other stuff, that petty stuff behind us because that's what causes problems in the church. That's what causes some problems. Also, he wrote about that in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15. Uh, our actions are also important. So it's not only our attitudes, but it's also our actions. In other words, what we do, how we behave, how we present ourselves, what we do in the church is important too. Look at second, when Paul wrote to Timothy in the second letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 19 through 21. 
he would he would address this point to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter two, verses nineteen through twenty-one says, "Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal: the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity." And in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So, we just have to understand sometimes that our actions, our actions are to be doing those things that are going to help the kingdom increase. Increase those things that are going to build our brothers and sisters up in Christ. Not not doing things uh, sometimes out of out of uh, I, I don't know out of the, out of the wrong spirit. Okay, out of having the wrong attitudes. So um, our actions are important. If if we but at the same time we have to live pure lives. We have to live pure lives. That's that's also what Timothy was pointing out. Uh, and demonstrate love, and many problems will, if we're doing this, a lot of times problems just won't, won't come up. They'll just kind of fade away, go away, and, and not be a big problem. But we must value the purity of the church, too. It is not wrong to insist that we follow the scriptures and we follow God's plan, and we at times do have to address problems in the church. When the problems arise, we can't run from them, hide from them, we have to face them. And, and the best way to do that is to do what? Is to open God's word and find out what he's told us to do about things like that. The kind of life that we should live, the spirit that we should have, the peace that we should be striving for, the harmony that we should be working towards. And then pray, right? We should pray about those things, uh, those things that we're facing. So truth must be taught. There, there's no... You know, and, and it's the entire truth that must be taught. Errors must be exposed. False teachers, we can't tolerate false treat, uh, teachers in the church. We can just look back and see some of the problems it caused in the early church. And I can tell you today, it's causing problems in churches all around us. False teaching. So we, we have to stand for the truth. We have to teach the truth. We have to expose error. We must care more for what is right than who is right. What is right is going to be found where? In the Word of God. That's right. We have one standard to come back to. That's it. We don't have to look in a lot of different places and find out what this person says. And that. All we have to come back and look is look. look. What did God say? What did God say? Because that's, that's the standard by which we will all be judged. And that's the standard we must meet to be acceptable to God. So you think about that just for a moment and think about what happens to the church in the future depends on the way we deal with problems today. I, I, think that, I think that all of us would readily admit as we look at the church today in the 21st century, this is the 21st century, right? I keep wanting to make it the 20th century sometimes, right? But we look at the church in the 20th, 21st century and real, we all realize that there's been a lot of changes in the brotherhood over the last 50 or 60 years, right? We've seen those changes and and the thing about it is, is because of a lot of those different things and different changes, we've seen churches split. We've seen churches fall away. We've seen churches change their names. 
away from the names that were given to us. So we need to pray for wisdom, and we need to pray for God's blessings on the church. It, because we want the church to be what God wanted it to be, not what we want it to be. We just have to fall in line with what God wants us to do, read and study His Word, pray about all these things, deal with those things that we have to face and, and that need to be dealt with, and teach the whole truth so that we all end up in the same place. That is our goal, right? Our goal. We only have one goal. And every one of us have exactly the same goal. And that's to go to heaven. And that's to go to heaven and take all of our brothers and sisters with us. I want to spend just a moment, if you will, on the back page of a couple of these questions. Because I, I, I think something would be interesting to think about. I, I'm looking at question number two. It says, name some of the problems that you have seen in the church. And then... Ask yourself this question, were they handled correctly? Were they handled correctly? So some of us have been in different congregations and gone to church in different places. And uh, Does anybody have any, any example or something that, that, was, that took place? And did, was it handled correctly? Morris? I think most of our problems come from jealousy. One way I was song leader in uh, one church, and of course the elders made up the program, you know, each Sunday if they did what. But we had one song leader that was also a music instructor and, and was, you know, his job at the school was uh, teaching music. And so he felt extremely jealous when I would get up and lead 